0: um so i want to i want to start i'm I'm zach Uh, i just want to introduce myself real quick Uh, i'm a pastor in madison wisconsin and uh love madison great city i hope you guys can come visit and uh, i've got four kids been married almost 20 years and um let's see what else that's it so i would love there's more you don't want to hear uh so I would love to hear from you guys. Here's the question I want to start with. How many of you guys have taken an international trip on, the, um, on behalf of your church for the sake of church planting, or maybe if it's not as narrowly focused as church planting, just for some, some initiative at your church? And what did you do? Okay, so what did you do? Where'd you go? What'd you do? And what did the Lord seem to do in your heart? All right. So who who's gone somewhere? Kyle, share with us. Yep. <laughs> Canada. Hey, we'll take it. Uh, what what do you feel like the Lord did in your heart there through that experience? Alright, so we got Canada. Where else? What, what else we got? Yes, sir. What's your name? Okay. So just coming to terms with what does it mean to be content, and these folks are content, and I'm not, and I got all this stuff, and they don't, and why is that the case? Yep, cool. Canada, New, uh, Mexico, where else? Yes, sir. Okay. So church not as like event to attend, but church as identity. And that looks like in practice generosity. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Man, if that trip to Mongolia uh, Mongolia could impact your church in the same way, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Awesome. Where else? John. Mm-hmm. yes yeah that is that is really well said john. Anybody else where you been What did God do in your heart there yes, sir, Robert. Thank you. Well, the the title of this is How to Establish a Heart for Church Planting Among the Nations in Your Local Church. How to Establish a Heart for Church Planting Among the Nations in Your Local Church. And, and just like anything else, my conviction is that whether it's small groups or how to engage culture at your church or how to have a next generation ministry that disciples kids or... Um, anything like a a two-word philosophy that is not lost on you guys is uh, very, very simple, very, very true, sometimes hard in practice, and it comes down to this. Teach and model, right? Teach and model. With anything in terms of culture, we got to teach it and we got to model it, right? Teach and model. So that begs the question then, if you want to establish a heart for church planting among the nations in your local church— then it's reasonable to ask who here is doing the teaching and the leading and the modeling, right? And then secondly, do those that are doing the teaching and the leading and the modeling, do they already have this heart, right? Does that make sense? You follow me? Logically, does that logic tend to follow, right? So I want to ask you guys as leaders, you know, is there work to do in my heart when it comes to my heart for the nations? Am I convinced that this needs to happen? And, and so if you feel like there's, there's work to do in this area, I think we could all probably say that in, in one one degree or, or another. Let me suggest two action points. One's pretty simple and easy, and one might be a bit harder for some of you. Um, we need to educate ourselves first biblically and we need to educate ourselves i got the whiteboard here so i might as well use it uh we we need to educate ourselves biblically and then we need to educate ourselves experientially experience uh help me people e-x-p-i-a-l-l-y Um, so the, the biblically, I assume you guys, uh, you guys and gals, you're sharp folks. Um, it's pretty easy for most of you and you're probably already convinced or you wouldn't be in Acts 29, I would imagine. But if you feel like there's work for you to do, um, there's nine copies of this right over here. John Piper's let the nations be glad. Okay. If you don't have this, I would get it and read it. Not because John Piper is the fourth member of the Trinity, but just because it's a great book, but there's other ones out there. This is the one that, that that really roped me in, okay, in terms of biblically, is this for real? Like, is this necessary? I read this, and I said, I'm all in. I'm convinced, okay? Um, so there's nine copies. If you don't have it, please get it and read it. Simply educate yourself biblically. Be convinced biblically about these things, Okay. So that's a biblical angle, but let's talk more about experiential, okay? Uh, Because I think most of you are already pretty good on the number one. Um, Let me me, me suggest an action point that I think might be the greatest thing that will impact your church culture for the sake of the nations. And if you've got something to write with, this is going to be profound, okay? You ready? I think you need to probably buy a plane ticket. I'm being sarcastic. I hope you know that. But it's not that profound at all. But I think the biggest thing for some of you um, is you need to buy a plane ticket. Experientially. Okay? Study in actual people by going, seeing the needs, figuring out if God is moving you to love these specific people. Ask God to move your heart for specific people. So just like anything else but especially in the enormity of the of the task when it comes to church planting or engaging those least reached people if the lead guys heart is not beating hard after the nations after nations being reached then it's probably not going to happen in your church right like we can talk all we want about our philosophy of ministry and our mission statement. But at the end of the day, you're going to talk about what you're passionate about. And my experience is the the passion comes biblically, yes, and it even deepens experientially. And experience comes from you buying a plane ticket and actually going somewhere, right? I remember listening to, uh, maybe some of you were at this conference. I think it was 2008. Yeah, David Platt at Together for the Gospel, and he was talking about a nation sermon or something. But all I remember, I don't remember anything else but this, that he was in Nepal or somewhere like that, and they had to hike this big mountain trail to reach this unreached people group. And these people were so poor that they were prostituting their daughters out. And he's weeping as he's telling this horrific story. But what it landed on me as a guy that is someone who communicates often in front of our church is that, you know, I'm going to teach the Bible without question. David Platt is going to teach the Bible without question. But when he stands up and tells a story like that, how much more are his people wanting to follow him when they're convinced not just that he's convinced biblically, yes and amen, but he's convinced because he's actually been there. And he's passionate because he's actually been there. He's actually looked these people in the eye. And he's telling stories, right, about this need. And then all of a sudden this theology that I have intersects with the practice of it. And there's a profundity there that if it's just experiential, it's not going to be the same. If it's just you know, Psalm 67 or, um, or, or, or Revelation seven, nine, I'm never going to say the Bible's in, 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 in um, there's not enough, There's not sufficiency there. No, of course not. But it's just wisdom in terms of influencing people as a leader, that if you're telling stories about what you've done and you're calling them to go with you, they're going to come when they know that you're doing it too. Does that make sense? So the first time um, I went to Morocco, I was I was freaked out. Watched too many movies with Muslim terrorists, right? Watched too much news, read too many headlines, right? All these Muslims they just, they want to they want to kill me, and w- what I didn't know until I got there is that um, in in Morocco. There's no, they, they don't have the same cultural faux pas of staring at people like we do. So if we stare at each other, it's kind of like, why is this guy staring at me? In Morocco, they don't have that. So tall, white dude, red hair, you know, uh, they just stare at me. You know what I mean? So like, I'm freaked out. Like, these people want to kill me. It's, it's not true. It's not true at all. You know, 99.99% of people in the world are just like us. They want... Food, shelter, clothing, education for their kids, you know, a decent job. I mean, they're just like us, right? But, man, you guys shared this. I'll just share my experience. Um, I I walked away from that first trip, um, a lot of reflections. But first of all, like, being exposed to a completely new people group, man, like like John said, it just gives you a window into God's heart in a different experiential way, right? Right? Like, I had never been outside the 48 states until I was 35 years old. And then all of a sudden, I'm exposed to these international experiences for a people that I knew about intellectually but never experienced. So when, when, my, my, when my intellect intersects with my experience, it, it has a profundity. And these two are people who, for whom Christ has died, right? And I got to sit and talk to them, got to see, look them in the eye. I didn't just have to imagine them as the nations. No, I'm with the nations, right? So I know intellectually and biblically that Jesus died and purchased people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, but you feel it deeper in your bones when you sit across the table from someone who culturally comes from a completely different world than you. Like one example, I'm I'm in a taxi with this guy in Morocco, and in Morocco, if you're uneducated, I, don't, I can't even explain it because I don't even twi- quite understand it. But, like, they don't have a linear worldview like we do, like A plus B equals C. Like, things go in a line. And so we're lost in this city, and I have a map. And this guy, like, I'm like, here's where we are. And linear thinking is you look at the map, here's where we are, here's where we need to go. You just kind of connect the dots. His brain does not work that way. Like him reading a map and it's not because he's dumb. It's just a different way of thinking about things that I, I don't even really understand. But all I remember is him looking at a map was like, he, he's got nothing. You know what I mean? He just looked at me like I had three heads, you know, like that was really good for me. There's people that don't share my same cultural experience that I need to be exposed to really, really good for me. The second thing was just the enormity of the task, So I'm in a a city with 400,000 people in Morocco with zero witness, like zero, um, other than these two families that are our team that we partner with. And so when I come to Fargo, I don't know much about Fargo, but I know there's a witness here. I mean, we're standing in it, and there's other probably good churches in this town too. But if you've never been to a place where there's zero witness, that will land on you with a gravitas or a weight that's crushing. So the enormity of the task. Uh, Thirdly, so in light of that, you start praying differently. Because the sense of desperation that you have lands on you differently. You come home pleading with the Lord in a different way. Like, Lord, how is this work to be done unless you do it? Now, that's always the case, right? Like, conversion is always a miracle. And so, um, I don't want to say something that's, that's heretical here in any sense. But just give me grace here. You just feel it differently, right? Um, by and large, Muslims do not convert. I've seen a lot of young white college kids, in my experience at least, I've seen a lot of young white college kids convert. So I know it's always a miracle no matter what, but experientially I've seen it over here happen a lot. Over here, statistically, it just doesn't happen. And so, that again, you start praying differently. I've got to pray for the white college girl and the Muslim both. Of course, it's always a miracle of grace. But I just came home praying different. You know, there's issues of contextualization that I'd never thought about before that were so good for me. So I'll give you one story. One of the uh, one of our um, it was the uh, the team leader of our team. He came and he met with us and he oversaw the whole country. For um, our our folks are with pioneers, and um, he said one of the gnarliest contextualization issues was it sounds funny, but do I do the dishes with the with the with the um, curtains open or not? Do I make that public or not? So, from the Christian side of things, it makes sense that I'm going to serve in my home, right? And if my wife. Would appreciate me doing the dishes? I'm going to do that because I want to love my wife as Christ loved the church, right? But in a culture of Islam, you doing the dishes might cause you to lose a lot of credibility among the Muslim men you're trying to reach. Because they might be thinking, why are you in the kitchen? Like that's a woman's job. And can you not lead your family? And can't you control your wife? So which is it? Do I want to have a a witness, right? Is this going to be a witness, or is this going to detract from me being able to actually have a witness? Because they're probably not going to respect me, but will they still listen to me? I don't know. Which is it going to be? I serve my wife, or or am I here to serve these people, but I'm also supposed to serve my wife? I mean, just stuff like that. It's like, I've never thought of that. You know what I mean? Just gnarly issues of contextualization that, that these folks just deal with every day. And I can tell you way more stories than that. Uh, what did he do? This wasn't me. It was a th- this is just a story that that uh, he was telling us, helping us understand why contextualization is so challenging. I th- I think so. Honestly, I don't even remember. It might be, but it might not be. It might not be. I don't know. And and that's uh, you know. And maybe different people are going to answer that differently depending on where they are. You know what I mean? Um, or maybe your wife says, you know what? It's okay. Like, because of where we are and who we're trying to reach, I'll do the dishes. And you're going to serve me in other ways as Christ loves the church. But you know what I mean? It's just like these are, this is complex. I'm just saying it's not simple. Right? Um, but then I come home. Here's the thing. Uh, and this, this kind of ties into what we'll talk about a little bit, is having stories to tell. And I'm telling them right now. But having stories to tell. Like culture in your church is always set by the stories you tell. I mean, just think about our American culture, right? I, I, I heard someone, uh, I don't remember his blog post or something, I was reading. But, you know, if you think about the... the, the, the the rate at which our culture has changed in reference to sexuality. It's not because someone got up with a whiteboard and broke down a philosophy of new sexual ethics. The reason why uh, the culture has shifted so rapidly is because of the stories we tell. We have will and grace. You've got Brokeback Mountain right? This isn't a logical one-to-one thing. It's stories are being told over and over again, and the media is championing those, of course. But the stories we tell win the culture. So uh, let me just lay that as just kind of an asterisk, but another plug for you to buy buy a plane ticket, because you're going to come home with stories. And the stories you tell are going to set the culture of your church, so if you get up and tell a story every week about how you've shared your faith with your, with your neighbor, your folks are going to remember that. That's going to set the culture of your church. If you get up and, 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 and tell a story every week about how God hates gay people, that's going to set the culture in your church. Negatively, of course, right? The, 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 the culture we have is shaped by the stories we tell. So get a plane ticket, and you're going to come home with stories. So those are some of the things that God did in my heart on my first trip that continues every time I go. So let me ask you again, where's your heart on these things? You know, Where's God maybe asking you to go deeper into his heart, which is a revelation Seven, nine kind of heart, tribe, tongue, nation, right? May, may all the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you, the psalmist says. Where's your heart with that? And I think 90% of, of setting a culture in your church that's ready to engage the nations, to reach the most unreached, to reach those people that have zero access, other than maybe the internet, if they have internet, I think personally 90% of this is just your heart as a leader. The rest is kind of details, and we're going to talk details in a second. So buy a plane ticket and read John Piper's Let the Nation Be Glad on your way over there. Okay? Point number one, or pick whatever book you want. I I like Piper's book because he just exegetes scripture, right? All right, so let me ask you to think about this nation's emphasis at your church can't be a ministry of the church. Okay. So typically in a lot of churches where I was raised in, you have a missions committee. And what I like to say at my church is we, we will never have a missions committee because the missions committee is everybody right here. And you guys actually, right now you get this, but it might be helpful to say that to your people more often. We don't have a missions committee, even though we might, but, we all better embrace this mindset that everybody in this church, if you're a member of this church, you are by default on the missions committee, right? We don't have a sub-ministry of the church for the nations. No, God has a heart for the nations. And if you are a Christian and you say that you have God's heart, which you do if you're a Christian, then you have a heart for the nations too. So, so something, uh, we, we don't have a ministry of the church that is the missions ministry, like something that a committee oversees, and you, and you have like your, your yearly mission Sunday, which might not be a bad thing in and of itself, but if that's all that we're doing, what is that? That's just simply an event to attend. And we're not talking about events to attend, like someone goes to the event, the annual mission Sunday, gives a little extra, maybe feels a little extra guilty, and then moves on with whatever they're doing next week. Like, we can't have missions events to attend if that's all that is. Now, a missions event to attend may contribute to a, to a grander thing that you're doing. But if that's all we're doing, like the annual mission Sunday or whatever, see, we need nation stuff to be a part of our regular cultural DNA in our churches. Like, it has to be woven into the identity of what it means to follow Jesus at your church. So, how do we do that? I would say, again, it's teaching and modeling. And who's doing the teaching and modeling? Well, you're doing the teaching and modeling, but who else is? It's probably your elders, right? Your culture is set by your leaders. So now that you've got it established in your heart, is this heart established in your elders? So ideally, after you're convinced, you need to ask your elders to come along with you. They need to be convinced the, uh, biblically, theologically, and experientially. So maybe the next action point is buy a plane ticket for you and your elders and, and have them all read Let the Nations Be Glad on your way over there as an elder team. Alright? Just an idea. You figure it out how you want to do it. But, but I think it's got to be biblical, theological, and experiential both for this culture to be established in your church. And it's got to be with you and whatever your church government is, whether it's like first among equals or raw plurality or whatever, everyone in that room should be convinced biblically and experientially, I think. So let me ask you guys this. Um, Where are you guys? Let's just talk about this as a group. Where are you guys at in terms of your heart with nation stuff? And how has that process developed? Where are you at and how has that process developed? That's right So God has grown your heart for the nations by simply engaging with those from other nations here in your city. yeah, that's that's beautiful. What else from some of you guys? share just what that is what avid conspiracy is Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yes, sir. Yes, Yes, for for something like a short-term trip? Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think it starts by the biblical. So I, I want to be steeped in the scripture, and I want to know who God is. And when I read the Bible, I see that God is a God of the nations. Okay, so, and if he's calling us to make, you know, Great Commission, make disciples of all nations, how's that going to happen unless we take him seriously and go and there's lots of people groups that have yet to be reached so as a leader of my church i want to be mobilizing them to have god's heart and to hear god's mandate to our god is a missional god and he calls his church to be on mission to reach these nations for whom jesus has died that have yet to hear the gospel so like paul i hears from jesus i have many people yet in the city and no one had been converted yet you know what i'm saying so they're just waiting to hear so for me personally, I'm, I'm in charge of helping to lead a group of people where I'm held accountable to help disciple them to have God's heart. And so I know that for me, for that to happen, I've got to have experiential knowledge as well. And so what are we going to do as a church, as an organization, just us, to, to, to have a heart that beats, heart, beats, beats hard after what God's heart beats hard after? And so, um, we pray as an elder team and we decided that we're going to pick, uh, a place in Morocco and we're and we, I'll talk about this in a little bit. We also focus on Ecuador. And so, um, that's why I went because I wanted to go explore and see, is this really, and, and, um, a couple of elders went with us, like, is this what we're going to do as a church? Cause we're going to do something. We have to biblically, we have to do something. Um, and so, the church enabled me. Now, if you don't have a job as a pastor, then you might have to ask off work. And that's a sacrifice that might be worth it, you know. And uh, and I'm going to, and maybe through the course of the local church, if you're, are you go, you go to this church? Yeah, so you're going to talk to your leaders and say, hey, if this is your heart, can I come to? Or what are we doing? And can I do that? Or just like this brother said, there's the nations are here so you so you can um you can edit what I just said uh you don't have to buy a plane ticket like there's Somalis here, right, uh, a lot of them in an apartment building. is that right that's what somebody told me yesterday, and the same thing in my city that i 'll talk about in a second. so maybe you just need to buy a, a, a you don't need to buy anything. you need to get in your car and pay for some gas and drive over there and, and take someone out for lunch or just say hey i'm or just say hey what's your name?" Langston? I'm Langston. What's your name? And see what the Holy Spirit does. It might be as simple as that. Yep. 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 Yeah, amen. Amen. Um, But in our case, uh, there's the problem of no gospel witness whatsoever in a lot of parts of this country. And they're not coming to us. Well, in some sense they are. But in our experience, like, There's a lot of nuance here, but this people group that we're going to, they're not coming to us and they're not asking us to come, but there are people there we believe that Christ has died for that have yet to hear hear the gospel and respond and be raised from the dead spiritually. And so we're going to them. We believe that's Jesus' call. Is that helpful? Okay. Yes, sir. (laughs) Yeah. Sure. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So great question. Great question. Um, The question is, like, how do you recover from bad trips or how can you ensure that the resources that are kingdom resources are actually going effectively toward kingdom things? Um, I'd love to hear what you guys think. I can give you my take. Uh, Number one, there's always going to be that risk, that it's never going to be perfect. Uh, Number two, one of our core convictions at our church is relationships and resources always go together. Um, And so I want to work hard at relationships with these people, and that probably means a lot of work and uh, maybe Skype conversations. Um, So the reason why we landed in Morocco is because These folks were already sent out from a church where I used to work in Albuquerque, New Mexico, had been completely vetted by leaders that I trusted because I worked in that church in Albuquerque. Albuquerque Church sends them out. We go plant our church in Madison, Wisconsin, and we're like, from day one, we want a nation's emphasis built into our DNA. So what are we going to do? Well, we could take another two years and do a bunch of research on people we don't know. And hope that they're uh, relationally aligned, theologically aligned, philosophy and ministry aligned. And that's going to take a lot of work, and we don't want to wait that long. We already have those three boxes checked with these folks that we know in Morocco, so let's just join what they're doing. So that's how we landed there. That's But, but, but it's going to take some work on the front side, I think, um, to just vet as much as possible so that we're not wasting kingdom resources, knowing that it's never going to be perfect. Um, and so... I just think it's going to, building relationships uh, is going to be very, very key that I know as much as I possibly can, I know what I'm getting into, and I know what I'm asking my folks to get into. Um, Anybody else have wisdom on that? Not that what I said was wise, but anybody else have something to add to that on how we can try to help our trips? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yes. or just like kind of a missional missional the missional tourism. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. uh, yeah. Yep. So that touches on another issue of like and this is tangential not on my notes but I think it's really important. No, no, it's really good. This is really important because we've wrestled with this too, is in the midst of, okay, we have a heart for the nations, that's clear, and those nations people come to our church, and then all of a sudden we get requests for everything. And so what we've said is we've tried to narrow the grid um, of what we're going to say yes to. We have to try to think through a filter, and I won't go into all of that, but um, J.D. Greer has a great thing, and some of you may have heard this before. He's got... um, Bless, catalyze, and own. Um, And so there's certain things that we bless. Like, you've got a great idea. There's no way that we would ever put you up front and and promote that. But it's not like sinful or unbiblical necessarily. But we're just not down with it. So let me pray for you, brother. Go do your thing. That's a bless, right? Um, Catalyze is we are... um, We 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 want to empower you to do some of this stuff, and so you might meet with me as a pastor, and I'm gonna like you know Ephesians four equip you, you know I'm gonna give you some time. It's probably not gonna be upfront, and it's not gonna be dollars and cents, but we're going to it's a middle ground. You can read his stuff and figure it out. Then the own is it's upfront. There's money. Elders are engaged, uh, and we we oversee this deal. And for us, when we talk about nations, we one of those things in terms of ownership, and, and it's and I'll talk about this in a second. Um, it's built into our mission statement, so we're all about church planting, and it's, and even more defined is we want to engage the unengaged in church planting. So um, we're going to engage the engaged in other ways in church planting, but we're going to always have something that's engaging the unengaged, where there's zero gospel witness. So that's why we go to this city in Morocco. And so if you come to us and say, hey, will you support me 100 bucks a month for, for this? Uh, the answer is probably going to be either bless or catalyze, but there's not going to be money because mo- money's more in the ownership category. Does that make sense? Um, yes, if I can spell it. Uh, so there's bless... And that's just like open-handed. We're blessing everybody at our church. Uh, I think J.D. Greer's um, example is uh, a guy comes to him and says, um, I want to print John 316 on a number two pencil and give it to every teacher in the city of Durham. And that's my calling. And it's like, brother, you do that. I will pray for you. And that's great. But that's probably the extent of the church's involvement in that ministry. Okay. Um, and then there's, uh, catalyze. Uh, how do I spell catalyze? C-A-T- Uh, Y-Z like that. E like that. All right. Uh, and that is, um, Ephesians four. I'm going to spend some time with you, equip you. Um, there's more creativity than that. I'm going to be more involved than the blessed category. Uh, and uh, if you read his book, it's awesome. Um, uh, gosh, great J.D. Greer. We took all of our city group leaders through it. Um, the, the Sending Church, what is it? Yeah, it's like sending something. <laughs> um, uh, Ephesians 4. Like uh, pastors uh, were called to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Uh, but the J.D. Greer book is awesome. Something about sending, just look it up on Amazon. Um and then uh, bless, catalyze, and then own. So this is, like, the official, like, uh, the elders own this ministry in the sense of, like, it's a staff position or, we're, or it's built significantly into our budget, right? There's direct accountability to leadership, all that, okay? And for us, um, church planting among the, 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 the least engaged is one of those things, okay? So how much time do we have? I don't know. 14 minutes. All right, let's do this quick. Um, so for some of you that are, are doing this right now, and some is, might say like we're killing it. Some people might say we have it, but we're not killing it. Who cares about that? But here's the question. How do you ask your church to get on board? So your heart's already settled, and then the, the heart of your elders or, or all of your city group leaders or whatever your leadership structure looks like, let's just say that that's settled from there, the question, though, they're trying to answer is how does the church get a heart for the nation? So, what are you guys doing in your churches to try to infect this biblical heart, uh, 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 Romans 7 9 heart, or may all the peoples praise you heart? How do you try to infect that in your whole church now? Well, what are you guys doing? Anything? Any ideas? So but what I'm hearing you say as a step back is you're just talking about it from the front. So you've gotta talk so you gotta say some things to cast the vision, but you gotta actually say some things first for the vision to be cast. Right? So I gotta I gotta I gotta talk about it from the front as a leader, right? So it should be in there. anybody else? What what are you guys doing to, to try to instill this DNA in your people? Okay. what what do they do what do they do to try to to like impact the whole church okay yes yep Yes. Yes. Yep, that's right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So just asking people to go. But again, I want you guys to see that all of this flows from your heart. If it's not in your heart, none of this stuff exists. You're not going to talk about it. You're not going to enable teams to be started. You're you're not going to enable a team to support those that are being sent. You're not. You're not going to ask people to go because you are going to want them to stay. Right. Let me just. Let me just share maybe some things that we're not doing this perfectly. But we've been trying hard to uh, see it established at our church. And so let me just give you some bullet points on what, what we're doing. Um, so uh, we structure it into our vision statement. So our vision statement is divine church seeks to be a spirit-filled family that seeks to make disciples. So it's make disciples plant churches among neighbors and nations, there it is, through declaration and demonstration. So make disciples, plant churches, neighbors, nations, declaration and demonstration. And um, because I'm kind of a nerd on alignment and making sure we're not just playing church, but we know why we're doing church. Um, I talk about a vision statement all the time. So I just re- re- we talk about being um, unapologetically, ruthlessly redundant. You know what I mean? I want everybody to be like, what's the mission statement of our church? I don't know. It's like something declaration, demonstration, but actually be able to say it, you know? Secondly, um, we structure this into our Sunday mornings very intentionally, okay? So there's a lot of sub points here. Um, we have our leaders praying for it about what we're doing in Morocco and um Ecuador, on a, an intentional, regular basis from the front, we have um, we preach on it annually. So there's the annual vision series we do. So let me say this: there's the formal there's the formal preaching of it, and then there's the informal preaching of it. Because God has laid this on my heart, and I'm convinced biblically and experientially, I preach on it formally. But I really try to drip, like mission drip, you know what I mean? Like drip it in to other sermons. So can I find an illustration that works from my trips to Morocco or Ecuador? Like I just want this to be kind of a regular thing of what we talk about. So it's not just the formal. It's also the preaching informally where I just want mission drip to slowly drip into our people. Uh, Sunday morning, what else do we do? Um, When we have teams go and come back we put them up front. So we pray for them before they go. Um, And when they come back, they have a report. And so we have at least a trip to Morocco and Ecuador once a year. And so that's going to be four Sundays at minimum beyond preaching where we're going to focus on it and and hear about it. And that's that's every year. Um, Let's see. So that's kind of, so this is uh, the vision statement. This is what we do on Sunday, and then it 's it 's woven into the life of our small groups. The two main things that we ask people to sign up for at the vine are show up on Sunday, show up in your city group, and hang out with unbelievers that 's kind of our sim, like that 's ba- the base of what we ask our members to do, okay. So um, what we do in our small groups is we have – see, the challenge is these folks are not with us. They live in Morocco. They live in Ecuador. So there's not FaceTime with these folks. So how do we create FaceTime? Well, thank God for technology. Um, We can record videos and easily disseminate those throughout our small groups. So the way we structure our small groups is we do once-a-month prayer meeting. So the only thing our small groups do once a month in their gathering is just pray, okay? Now, you guys do whatever you want. That's just what we do. But we we make sure that we're praying neighbors. Who are you engaging with across the street? And how are we engaging across the ocean? So we're going to pray about that, okay? So we pray with my guy in Morocco saying, looking at his computer, recording a FaceTime video, here's what we need prayer for right now. And so once a month that 's going to be happening, whether it 's Ecuador or Morocco, so we structure it into how all of our small groups um, operate so there 's that um, and so that 's structured in there um, we 've got it in our we 've got it in displays over our church, so you walk in our church and you 're going to see a big you 're going to see a big um, Poster of the city of Madison in our lobby, and you're going to see a big poster of Ecuador, and you're going to see a big poster of North North Africa right when you walk in the door. Okay, so that's a small thing, but but maybe a big thing. Um, I say unapologetically, and this probably goes back to Sunday morning, but I've said multiple times I would love for every member of my church to have an international experience. Just for what I've already told you guys, it's just it's one thing to be convinced biblically. And yes and amen, get in your Bible, understand God's heart. In addition to that, when you actually sit across the table from someone who comes from a completely different world than you, it will just change your heart and you will understand God's heart at a deeper level. So I want every member of my church to go. So how's that going to happen? In light of your question, that's hard, right? What's that? Exactly. Logistics are hard. So here's what we've done. And I, we did not come up with this, but I stole this from the church where I came from, and I think it really works. So, we, uh, so but, but the big point here is we ask unapologetically to go on an experience. So how can we create an experience that is easy? Well, the problem in Morocco is um, if you bring a bunch of people, it's going to draw a lot of attention, and, and especially a bunch of white people uh, where there are no white people, and In a place like Morocco, there's a lot more concerns about security. They're not asking you to come, uh, and they they can kick you out very easily. Uh, There's a lot more hostility, blah, 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 blah. So what we've done is we've chosen two places, and we call them one is our less accessible place, and one is our more accessible place, okay? So Morocco, they're not asking you to come. It's really expensive to get there. I mean, it's, brut- it's a brutal trip to get to this town. You know, you've got to fly from Madison to Detroit to Paris to Casablanca. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a journey. And then you've got to take a, a three-hour car ride, okay, uh, amongst sketchy traffic that will freak you out. Um, okay, so it's hard to get there. It's expensive. They're not wanting you to come. You've got to be secretive. you got to be, you know, all this stuff. So that's our less accessible place. Because of all those factors, we'll never back down because no one's going there. So we have to go there, but we, in addition, we have a more accessible place and they work in tandem. So the more accessible place is Ecuador, they don't care if we come, they're fine with us coming. It's a lot easier travel. It's less expensive travel. We have a a short-term experience with people that want to give a short-term experience. We're really trying to make sure it's not missional tourism, but it's simply serving for the sake of blessing these folks and they want us to come. So what I say to our church all the time is a lot of you aren't going to go to Morocco and you watch too many movies just like me and you're scared to go to Morocco. That's okay. We'll get you there. We need to detox you from that. We'll get you there. But how about Ecuador first? Or how about you just engage with the nations that are our neighbors at the University of Wisconsin because there's 7,000 of them. All right? So I'll come back to what I've been saying. The ask to go, how do I go? But, man, uh, nations as your neighbor... So almost every city, and this is increasing, right, with refugees, um, you can engage the nations as your neighbor, as a great first step, okay? And so we've got a ton. And so you can have that experience by just getting out of your comfort zone and talking to someone, inviting someone over for dinner. But uh, less accessible, more accessible, and so we just say this to our church, like, if you can just love someone and have a servant heart, you can go to Ecuador. We'll figure out how to get you the money. All you got to do is, it's just going to be service projects to bless folks there that are planting churches. So you, you don't have to do anything other than love and serve. And most people can handle that. You know, we'll f- help you figure out how to raise the money. If you're willing to take a little vacation and your family supports it, go. We want you to go. And, and man, that's been beautiful, Okay. So we we provide opportunities for people to participate, right? So that, that's really that's really important, I think, for because it's not just about the hearts of them. Like we want to reach Moroccans that are crushed under the weight of Islamic legalism, but I also want to reach the hearts of my people too, right? So I gotta have an experience for them to to be able to go, and we've just found that this combination of The unengaged plus a little bit of the already engaged, but there's still massive problems that needs church planning. And so Acts 29 Ecuador, they're killing it down there, and we're partnered with them. And that's way easier for most people to sign up to, okay? So those really work in tandem. It's kind of like the infantry troops go to Ecuador, and the Navy SEALs kind of go to Morocco, you know what I mean? And so a small small team of six is going to Morocco in three weeks, and then like a team of 15 can go every year to Ecuador, And in our church of around 200, like, that's pretty good. You know, we've got, you know, whatever, like, maybe almost 10% can go every year. Um, And then just finally, what else do we do? You know, we promote it in our online presence. So whatever, you know, all your social media, we're intentional to put nation stuff up there on a regular basis. Um, Again, this is saturation in your DNA. It's not just event stuff. It's saturation in your DNA. And it's also with our kids. So we want to disciple our kids to have God's heart for the nations. So it's woven into our curriculum. Um yeah. So I I really want to emphasize too, like that, yeah, nations as your neighbor. Like do not do not d- diminish that at all. Your your people can engage a lot of times right where you are if you're in a town that's you know bigger than a thousand or whatever. Um any questions? I know we need to wrap up here. I got one other thing, but any questions? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. 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 Yeah, absolutely. A, you can support one another as you're trying to support someone else. But just like you, um, when you went to school, you had one teacher that was good at this and one teacher that was good at this and one teacher that was good at this and the diversity of different teachers gave you a diverse education, right? Uh, A diversity of churches can be a blessing for the sake of the nations in a diversity of ways. So for our team in Morocco, they have three churches that partner with them. Our church has done really a good job at their pastoral care. We don't have a ton of money, but another church, they got a ton of money. They finance them. We finance them a little. They finance them a lot. You know, so you guys get what I'm saying. Um, so, yeah, do it. That would be awesome. And Acts 29, churches getting together, doing that would be killer. Um, I have an article here that I wrote a few years ago about why we do the narrow focus and why I want to commend to you picking a place And stick in there for the long haul with strong relationships intact. As opposed to we have 20 different missionaries that we all send 50 bucks a month to. No one at our church really knows them. But we feel good about ourselves because we're doing something. And you are doing something. It's not bad. But maybe it could be better if we were more relationally in deep, financially in deep, right? Sending to one place in deep. Um, That might be a, a little better of a philosophy Um, there's a lot of ways to do it. So this is not scripture, but I would commend it to you. So if you want to just take one pass around, if you want to read it, if not, just throw it away, no big deal. Um, but it's just a short paper on our rationale for why we would do what we do structurally with nations. So thank you guys so much.